Hello, welcome back to Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger, and some of you might know me as Astro Athens. And I am, uh, you can call me your in-app astronomer, uh, as I am here on the Colin app to, ta- to talk all about space, uh, to talk about the field of astronomy and astrophysics, uh, also within uh, the realm of rocket science and different launches that are happening and stuff like that. So if you guys are ever interested to kind of uh, pop on here and say hello and ask a question about space, um, I encourage you to join tomorrow's episode or, of course, anytime uh, on any of these episodes, you can leave a comment in the chat. So hello, I see some of you just joined. Hello, Chief. Hello, Mario. And plus two others. Uh, so that might be some of our friends joining from a web browser. Um, I just went ahead and started this a little bit early, and that's because I was just really excited to talk about some new stuff that came back from the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, especially because it pertains to my field of research, uh, which was back in undergraduate, so it was qu- quite a while ago, but um, may- maybe I'll revisit it when I'm going to be going back to school uh, for research, so possibly I'll, I'll do that, or I might go into a different field, but um, it's, it has to do with something called a protoplanetary disk. Uh, so I'm actually going to go ahead and just jump into it because we are now at 6 p.m. Central Time and um, there's quite a lot of stuff I wanted to cover here. Um, so as always, hello, hope you're doing well. And if you joined uh, my previous episode, I hope you got to get outside and see some of those deep sky objects. Uh, we had a, the Whirlpool Galaxy visible this week. We have a globular cluster and there are also a ton of different constellations that are visible right now as we are in uh, spring. We are in springtime. So um, as always, feel free to leave any comments or questions in the chat and um, I will read them out loud. I always tend to. It was really fun yesterday. It kind of became like a two-way conversation. Alrighty. So um, I was kind of researching some stuff that I want to see, like, what's going on with James Webb. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what, what was in the news. And um, something kept popping up that was talking about MIRI, this thing, this this uh, instrument on the James Webb Space Telescope, and uh, and it, it cooling down, quote unquote, right? This is this is something really, like, weird and, and kind of interesting. And I was like, huh, this is strange. And couldn't really find too much information as far as like the actual physical cool down of the instrument itself and like why it was so hot. But I did find out that like it needs to operate at a certain temperature, which makes sense. Who here has been with their phones out in the sun? Uh, this was literally me the other day. Um, I was sitting outside in the sun for a very long time and my phone overheated and it just shut down and like it wasn't operating properly. So uh, this is this is you know a lot of our tech us humans aren't quite different aren't, aren't so different either. Um, so first, kind of going into the James Webb Space Telescope for those of my friends who don't know about it, uh, it is basically the new like upgraded version, kind of, but its own version of the Hubble Space Telescope. So it is a space telescope. So just like a telescope you'd have here on Earth, but it's based in space. It's located at Lagrange Point 2, which is an area of kind of like an equal gravity. Uh, It's a gravitational equilibrium is the fancy term. uh, And it's between the the orbit of Mars and Earth. And so it's somewhere kind of far out, but uh, further than the Hubble Space Telescope, which actually just kind of orbits near Earth. 
So we're able to see, and I mean we collectively as humanity, but more so the astronomers working with James Webb are able to see much further into the universe, uh, not just because of its position, but also because of its instruments. Um, Hubble was launched in the 90s, so a lot of the instruments are just kind of, you know, they're they're older. Uh, and who here, like, you know, we update our phones quite frequently, so for sure – a lot of these instruments needed a bit of, bit of an upgrade. Hubble will still keep going on. However, uh, it's going to be working with the James Webb at the same time. So the James Webb Space Telescope, when you look up pictures of it, you're going to see this kind of like honeycomb, yellowish tint, golden tint mirrors. Those are uh, really important to capturing very sharp, crystal clear images of space because the more mirrors, the better, the more light that gets reflected off those mirrors and that is processed via a type of chip that is within the scope. Uh, it's not really like the proper term, but from my understanding of cameras, it's some kind of silicone chip. And for my friends in the chat here who are photographers, if you'd like to leave a comment about that, uh, please be my guests. If you know a little bit more about the, um, I would say like how the optics of cameras and how that works. And then also that would pertain, of course, to the telescope as well. So this overall just really helps kind of sharpen a lot of these images. Um, but it doesn't just do that. It, it has also a very sensitive piece of equipment, which is uh, to look at things in the near-infrared spectrum. So uh, this is an area of the electromagnetic spectrum. If you were to look up the EM spectrum, it's an area in which we can't visually see. So there is energy, there is light that's being emitted, uh, typically through thermal radiation, through heat, which we can sense with like the palms of our hands. We have two infrared detectors. Uh, actually, our whole body is kind of an infrared detector. We can sense heat everywhere. Um, but our palms are the most sensitive and the bottoms of our feet because we have the most nerve endings there. And so if you uh, ever want to keep that in mind, those are our infrared detectors. So you can detect heat that way. And uh, this is really important in the field of astronomy uh, because as an observational science, we can't physically go to another galaxy yet to, yet, not yet, maybe one day, to, to take observations, uh, to, to collect data, to collect information. Um, you know, we can't really go to another galaxy, to another planet to then collect samples uh, just yet. And so because of it, we have to solely rely on these kinds of instruments that can see things. Um, Another kind of tricky thing is the things we're seeing, sometimes when they're really, really far away, it took a very long time for the light that was emitted, whether it was visible light, like what we could see with our eyes, or infrared light, it would have taken so long to travel throughout this long pathway or journey of space between us and that object that it actually was light that left a long time ago kind of depending on how far away the object is. A way to think of it in perception of like scale is if something is a thousand light years away, that means it takes a thousand years for the light to travel to us. And so with that being said, um, it's, it's kind of another, sometimes I would say maybe, maybe slightly frustrating thing uh, in the field of astronomy is that you're looking at things that happened in the past. And so um, that's you know something to keep in mind when you're doing observations. And so the reason this is so important to have infrared is because those are the, some of the longest wavelengths that can travel at really great distances. And so when we're limited to see things, only see things in the visible light spectrum, 
then you won't be able to really uh, observe objects that are far, so far away that they're not maybe emitting visible light, but instead they're emitting a heat signature via infrared. So I know that's quite a lot. So like, I I hope you guys are following me here. Uh, But with all that being said, um, this is why the space, the, the Hubble, the James Webb Space Telescope wants to look at objects in the infrared. One reason, this is just one reason because things can be really far away. But the recent stuff that came out had to do with protoplanetary disks. And if you know anything about proplids, if you've listened to uh, an episode of Space Talk in the past where I've talked about what uh, my small, short area of research was, uh, my small contribution to the wider field of protoplanetary disk research, um, it was to look at something called a mass loss ratio. And so when a newborn star forms, it's spinning really fast. And it starts to collect a lot of matter near it. So that's this interstellar dust and gas, literally dust and, and gaseous material that's found in a massive cloud called a nebula, molecular cloud. When all this stuff starts to accumulate around this star, it starts to form a disk. And this is awesome. This is really exciting because this is kind of the first stage of how a planetary system can form and how planets like us here on Earth could form. Um, the tricky thing is for astronomers researching this stuff, uh, you can't really see through that dust cloud sometimes to really observe the star in visible light because it's obstructed. The view is obstructed, literally because sometimes this dust can be so thick. This is why infrared is so important because if you're able to not only like collect data in the infrared uh, spectrum, Uh, you're able to now understand more about what's happening beyond that gas cloud. So now we're able to basically see things without having to see things. I mean, isn't that so cool? Like us humans have been able to detect all these different wavelengths of the electromagnetic spectrum to to like be able to kind of see things without needing to use our eyes. Um, And I think that's just so fascinating about uh, just science in general and the field of astronomy. Um, So if you agree with me, go ahead and send her over a rocket ship or something or or leave a comment in the chat. I'm not sure if anyone's left any comments yet, but I don't see anything on my end. So I apologize if you have left anything. It could just be that my my app's a little bit slow. Um, Oh, wait, actually, I just got a message. What's up, Astro KV? Hello. Awesome. That is so cool. And uh, author Lauren, yes, Lauren, technology has made amazing leaps. Yes, it, it really has. Um, it really, really has. So this recent thing about James Webb is uh, this instrument called M-I-R-A, or MIRI, I guess is what it would kind of be called. Um, and this stands for, wait, where'd the name go? It was, <laughs> oh gosh, I can't find the name now. Um, it had a, a really... Really, I feel like if you guys end up Googling it, you're going to find it sooner than I can. <laughs> it's, I know it's uh, IR is infrared. Yeah, there we go. The mid-infrared instrument. Okay, knew it wasn't anything too complicated, but um, I'm looking up at a really great image uh, that that is a diagram that was put together with some of the data that was collected by this instrument. Um, from the James Webb. If you want to look at this with me, uh, you can go ahead and just type in M-I-R-I spectrum. I'll also share the link uh, once I publish this episode in the caption. But it shows a simulation 
of what the spectrum would look like of this protoplanetary disk. Now, what this means is what elements are present, what elements and what molecules may be present um, in this area. And this is very exciting. It shows methane, ammonia, uh, hydrogen cyanide, carbon dioxide. Um, and then it kind of shows the brightness of it. And so you can see that it kind of dips, gets brighter and it looks darker. And uh, then it also shows kind of the, the wavelength of the light. Uh, which is kind of like the distance between each wave and each wave or wavelength of uh, each of these different things in the, in the electromagnetic spectrum really just comes down to that uh, the, the photon, so the light quanta, uh, the, the amount of uh, energy of um, photons of light particles that are coming together and are emitted within this whole range of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, once again, I'm kind of stretching my arms out to try to demonstrate that, but I recommend looking at images. Just look at the EM spectrum. It'll make a lot more sense. There's really cool diagrams kind of showing all the different things that are uh, found within it. There's also radio waves, another really fascinating thing that we can hear uh, we could tune into radio waves and, and create a radio station uh, without seeing it, which is really cool. And it can pass through our bodies. It can pass through physical matter. Um, so that is that. Uh, and this is really cool. It says that the spectrum shows many features that demonstrate the presence of water, methane, and many other chemicals. Um, so this is really important for like those early stages before a possible, you know, planetary system will form. And when I say planetary system, just think about our solar system. Uh, the only reason I don't say solar system is just because we named our host star the sun. And so that's where the term solar really comes from. But um, this is, yeah, this is, this is super exciting to think about that there uh, might be like all these different ways to now kind of detect what's happening there. Because when, when I was doing my research, the main thing was kind of to look at like, okay, how much of this matter is actually being lost by different things? Like we talked about uh, stellar and solar wind yesterday. So uh, that's a huge impact in um, an area where a lot of protoplanetary disks exist, such as the Orion Nebula. We talked about this yesterday as well. You could see it with your own eyes without a telescope or binoculars. Just look for the constellation Orion and look underneath the three stars that make up the belt. You can kind of see this fuzzy object. That's, that's also a stellar nursery. There are baby stars that are constantly forming there. And when they're forming, um, this this happens. Like we was mentioning, this is where uh, starts things can start to form into a disk, an accretion disk, where possibly planets could eventually form. The only thing is it's pretty cluttered. Uh, there's other stars. There's stars that are at different stages of their lives. There can be older stars, like big teenage stars or adult stars that are just like, you know, much more powerful than these young baby stars. And they can, you know, give off a lot of stellar wind and radiation. And this could cause for all of the material and matter that accumulated around this young star to completely get disintegrated and blown away. Um and this can affect the chances of a planet forming. And so for me, I was like, oh, I want to try to like find, you know, the possibility of planets forming. And I want to know, like, is it possible that there's other systems out there where other, you know, things can exist and maybe even other life. And we can see the early stages of a new system forming where planets can be habitable and close enough to their star. I mean, just super, super wide eyed and excited. And, um, 
And, and, and the tricky thing, as I mentioned, is yeah, having to look at how much of that mass is being lost. And if, if too much of it was being lost at like a very accelerating rate, I'd have to like kind of dismiss and remove that, air, that, that proplid from what my focus was on my research. I'd say, okay, well, this is it, you know, going to probably form into, you know, a stick around long for planetesimals to form. Planetesimals are just an early type of planet. So kind of like a lumpy planet to when multiple different things come together and collide, different rocky objects and things start to get lumpy and dense. I like to kind of describe this as like a dust bunny in your room. Uh, so a dust bunny in the corner. This is kind of like a planetesimal. Um, okay, going to turn to the chat real quick. I see some comments. Oh my gosh, Astro KV, it's 4.40 a.m. Okay, good night. Yes, yes, uh, definitely. Uh, unless we're out stargazing, we should for sure rest. Uh, we've got a link in the chat. I'm going to check that out in a sec. It looks like this is the instrument from uh, James Webb. This is European Space Agency. Awesome. Yes, Miri, the mid-infrared instrument. Um, oh, this is awesome. This is a great link. Thank you for, for sharing this. Who shared this? I'm going to go check out your name. Corkspin. Oh, what a great name. James, hello. Corkspin. What a, what a great name. That's so cool. Uh, I almost want to invite you on to ask you why, why, why you named yourself that. Although I'm sure I, you know, we all could kind of guess why because it's, it's really clever. Um, but I, I would be, I'd be, I'd be so curious to know more. Uh, Mars planet applications of the physics of light have got to be some of my favorite technologies. Light is a surprisingly heavy subject. Yeah, light is, I was, I have probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, excuse me for counting so slow, 16 tabs open <laughs> of all these different things to kind of just, um, yeah, I mean, like each of them are, I just wanted to try to like break all this down. One of, the, one of them is uh, the researcher, the lead researcher of this specific uh, area of research of stuff that came back from Miri. Uh, and I was trying to look up how to pronounce his name. It's Klaus Pontopidin. 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 Um, and uh, I'll, I'll read some of his quotes in just a little bit. And then I was looking at like, okay, how exactly would I be able to explain one, you know, like, okay, the wavelength, the electromagnetic spectrum, and then wavelength compared to the frequency, the frequency compared to what exactly EM waves would be would be composed of. And like all of this, and like light quanta, how do I really explain that? Because it's so tricky to to sort of like understand these things without visualizing them. That's how, that's how I feel. Uh, and so hopefully I did a relatively okay job uh, breaking that down for you guys. So let's get back into some of the things that uh, this researcher had said, actually. So I want to pull this up. He was saying what's really cool is you know, as I mentioned before, infrared light is great at seeing through obscuring dust. Uh, dust can be very opaque in space. It picks up the heat signatures of young stars and planets. Um, so this is really great. You're, you know, before, if you're just using visible light, you won't really be able to see uh, kind of the, the heat and what's present and what's going on there. And if there are planets that are hot. Uh, so that's one thing. And then it says it also reveals the presence of important chemical compounds, as we mentioned before, such as water and organic chemistry. And this is probably some of the most important stuff when trying to find life beyond Earth is organic chemistry. Does it have water? Does it have things that we know that life needs to exist? Um, so this is a huge reason why the James Webb Space Telescope is going to be focused on looking at exoplanets because of this 
the specific piece of equipment, the 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 mid infrared instrument. So uh, Miri, uh, it's going to be able to check out kind of what's happening around atmospheres of planets, and it'll be able to check out also the stars, and um, that's that's going to be really really cool. So this is what uh, Klaus was talking about, uh, and by the way, he comes. He is the web project scientist from the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. So shout out to that if anyone is based in Baltimore, Maryland. Also, hello to all my new friends who just joined. What's up, Adara? I see you just joined the chat. Hello, and Evelyn. Hello, hello, Hector, Joshua. Hello, everyone, and, and everyone else. I said hi to you, James, Chief, Lauren, and Mario, plus two others. Our mysterious two others. I'm so curious to know who that is. Okay. Um, so then uh, kind of looking down at like a few more details uh, with just how well this instrument is able to see, it can pass infrared light, can detect infrared light through 20 times thicker clouds than visible light. So again, um, when I was looking at protoplanetary disks, if you guys want to pull up some images on your own, type in Orion and then just proplid, P-R-O-P-L-Y-D. And look up some images there of things that were taken by Hubble. This is what I had to work with uh, specifically, which are, are it's, it's tough. You see the kind of bright parts of these proplids. That's where the star is. Then you have these kind of dark shadowy regions. That's the, the, the accretion disk around it, in which all that matter is accumulating, and eventually maybe planets can form there. And then you kind of have this like elongated teardrop shape. And that's typically caused by uh, the effects of that stellar wind I had mentioned, radiation, um, other nearby stars, the star itself as well. And it's causing um, some of the, the matter to start to get really, really excited. And it causes it to be ionized. We've talked about this before. And, and this is basically when the hydrogen atoms get their electrons stripped from them. And so they become neutral, neutrally charged. And uh, like basically at this point, it's just like this one area just starts to become like really intense, uh, really, really, really intense. Uh, and, you know, this, this is what can affect that uh, disk to either exist or not exist. And so looking at these is one thing, um, but definitely being able to collect more stuff through it in, in you know, IR or infrared is going to be uh, really, really exciting. So let's go into some more things. Imagine 20 times thicker than what we've already been able to see. So I'm really hoping that when uh, images start to come back in the infrared, which would basically be, I know you might say like, well, if that's what we see, then how will images be taken in infrared if we don't see infrared? And they use the data and the information, uh, astronomers that are collecting this stuff to then process and lay that over a visible light uh, photograph. That's the best of my knowledge of how I understand how a lot of these uh, after effects are, are actually processed, but it's all within kind of the editing afterwards. So a lot of it is is pretty much edited. Same thing with the uh, Whirlpool galaxy we talked about yesterday. If you look at it in ultra, ultraviolet light, um, that was a, an image that later was edited. And, and basically, like when you use the exposure on your phone to edit a photo and you're using exposure and you're using saturation and you're using all these things, it's highlighting certain areas that are maybe more red, maybe more green, maybe more blue. And also there are ones that can highlight areas that are more heat like temperature-wise, a bit more heat. 
Um, and so that that's that would be basically what would be used for infrared. Um, so if you actually look up infrared image of okay, first thing that was recommended was Earth. Um, that is really kind of cool looking, and it shows the the various temperatures that are emitted throughout the planet. Um, so hopefully that that is pretty straightforward. That makes sense. Um, so let's go into a little bit more stuff about that. By the way, do you guys have any questions? Hello, hello. I see you guys saying hi. Oh, quark spin, the overlays from different parts of the spectrum, visible x-ray, infrared, add some really cool details. Yes, they really do. Um, and I, I've gotten questions before about kind of like, like, well, like those pictures are so cool. Like on astronomy picture of the day, like, you know, is that what space would look like if we went out like physically to the cosmos and, um, sometimes yes there will be colors but uh, most of the time they're not going to be that diverse and rainbow kind of colorful like you won't see a lot of red and blue and green and orange and and pink and purple Uh, most likely it'll be kind of like you know more muted tones Uh, but then you might have things like titan you know and saturn that are kind of more yellowish or neptune which are more blue Uh, and of course our earth which is greenish and bluish so Kind of varies, I guess, on sort of what object you're looking at. Um, which reminds me, yesterday we were we had such a great conversation. I'd say in this chat, we we're going back and forth so much that uh, we went to about 40 minutes, and I forgot to look at astronomy picture of the day, which is what we tend to do. It's one of my favorite websites to look at almost every day, and I didn't get to do that yesterday. So we're going to digress for a hot second and turn to astronomy picture of the day. Also, because it happens to be a very colorful image. Um, So this would probably be like a really great thing because it it always talks about also the the editing and and the exposure and how long they were processing this image for. And so uh, if you guys want to join me and go to APOD, typing this in the chat, .nasa.gov, you can do that now. All right. So um, our picture of the day is N11, star clouds of the LMC. Large Magellanic Cloud is that, which is one of our neighbor, one of our neighbor galaxies uh, with the small Magellanic Cloud and large Magellanic Cloud. It is very close to us. And it says, for the explanation, massive stars, abrasive winds, mountains of dust, and energetic light sculpt one of the largest and most picturesque reasons regions of star formation in the local group of galaxies. The local group of galaxies is uh, including us, the Milky Way galaxy, including Andromeda, um, and then other nearby galaxies. So this is our cluster. This is our neighborhood. Our our galaxy neighborhood is called the local group, in case you didn't know that. Um, And this specific region of star clouds is known as N11. Um, I'm going to look this up real quick because I had never heard about uh, this, this this specific picture within the Large Magellanic Cloud. This is really interesting. N11. Um, okay, it's LHA120N11, or known as N11 for short. It's a bright region of the Large Magellanic Cloud consisting of several adjacent pockets of gas and star formation. Uh, the main center of the image is actually... Uh, has its its own name so i'm guessing this is a this looks like a nebula it's known as ngc 1769 
So this is pretty cool. Uh, what I love so much also about this, it just brought me to ESA, ESA's website, European Space Agency. And uh, I just, it has all these different links within the description on APODs. So you get to learn as you're learning, <laughs> which is like probably my favorite thing ever. I love reading a paragraph that has a bunch of links in it. Uh, it's actually whenever I send emails, for those of my lucky friends here who have received emails from me, uh, whenever I write, probably a, like a good amount of stuff. I'll always like link some of my random words. They're not random. It's it, it actually will have it go to another source of, of more information because that's that we got to build on our build on our knowledge all the time. So it says that the visible upper region of the right um, of many images is its home galaxy, the Milky Way, um, which is the neighbor to the large Magellanic cloud which is really cool. And then it says this feature image was taken for scientific purposes by the Hubble Space Telescope uh, and reprocessed for artistry. Okay, let's click on reprocessed for artistry because, oh, this is really funny. Whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of a cat. I don't know what happened, uh, but when you click on, <laughs> I wonder if NASA knows this. <laughs> Okay, you guys have to go to APOD right now. Um, if you're not on this this website, APOD.NASA, it's like you see the cat too, Hector. What? <laughs> this is so funny. Sorry if my laugh is like really in the microphone. Um, oh, I got I have like a huge ant on my desk. Okay, I'll call my cat over later to, to, to catch that. Um, yeah, it's so funny. It's a cat with a gold chain and sunglasses and just a hoodie. It's like the most fly looking cat I've ever seen. Um, and if you're reading the description, you'll want to click on the second sentence, third sentence. It says reprocessed for artistry and it brings up a cat. Um, that's actually really funny. That's, that's super funny. So, uh, I was excited to click on it because I thought I would kind of talk about what we were just saying, which is, um, you know, this image is gorgeous, but when it was first taken, it was probably kind of grayscale. It was probably not this colorful. And so what they'll do is they'll add a filter that says enhance the ultraviolet, add on a filter that says enhance the infrared. And, and so then it's going to process an image that is showing us heat signatures, that is showing us ultraviolet radiation. And so it eventually becomes this picturesque, gorgeous, colorful thing, um, which is really cool. So I don't know about you guys, but since we all love space, have has anyone else had dreams about like flying through the cosmos? Um, I've had a lot of dreams like this, uh, and, and most of them were actually lucid. Uh, I was like, I would like, some of them weren't, but some of them were and and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like if there's any, like as soon as I start to realize I'm dreaming in my dream, I right away fly. I'm like, okay, time to fly. Um, and then eventually I'm like, I can fly higher and higher and higher and I don't have to worry. Like I'm in a dream and I'll eventually fly out to space. And, um, probably just because of all these images I've seen in quote unquote waking life or real life, um, my brain processes that when I'm asleep and I'm able to sort of go to these different images. And there's so many great simulations too, uh, videos that are brought together because of the Hubble space telescope. So if you guys have ever gone to a museum, the Hayden Planetarium in New York does a really great presentation of Hubble. It's, uh, it's Hubble. It's with Hubble Deep Field, I believe. And uh, it is just incredible. I mean, it's mind boggling because it the, the way they process this computer simulation, it literally looks like you're flying through these dust clouds. Um, and I have to say, like when we fly on a plane and you're flying through the clouds, it's 
kind of like that same surreal feeling. It's, you know, you're, you're like looking at these clouds. And if you've ever flown through enough clouds during like different times of the day, so like during like sunsets or sunrises or just different kind of variations of sunlight when it's pinkish or purplish or, you know, um, bluish, it just looks magical. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Anyway, I just went sidetracked, but, um, <laughs> Morris planet, what if the cat is the artist? Great point. Yeah, might might be the case. Um, also, I love that we all just saw this. This is so, so, so cool. Um, and yes, Adara, the dream sounds amazing. Uh, it, it, it truly is. So I encourage all of you guys to start to, I don't know, uh, m- meditate a little bit on, um, I don't know, maybe dreaming about this, this kind of space travel uh, through your dreams. It's, it's pretty cool. All right, the last part of this says, although the section uh, imaged above is known as NGC 1763, okay, that makes more sense. That's a familiar name to me. So uh, NGC, we've talked about before, stands for New General Catalog. Uh, so it's kind of just a more common name of objects in space that um, when they're discovered, they'll be added to these different catalogs, messier catalog, New General Catalog, there's some other ones I don't remember off the top of my head right now, but we've talked about them before. Um, and this is uh, an emission nebula. So this is a specific nebula that has a beautiful star cluster in the center, off to the right as well. And then it says that it is uh, an emission nebula second to in the, the, the large Magellanic cloud size to the tarantula, tarantula nebula. The Tarantula Nebula is another really pretty one. Um, I mean, I think all nebulae are pretty gorgeous, but Tarantula is also really famous. If you click on that one, it doesn't bring you to a cat. It brings you to the legitimate image. And then it talks about the compact dark dust that you see. So that is silhouetted. um, And that is due to light being behind it. Um, And you can't see the light source, but you could see the stuff passing in front of it, which are those clouds. And it says that it is housing young stars that are starting to be born, which is really cool. Uh, going back to our baby stars, uh, there are stellar nurseries all throughout the universe. And they're typically in these types of clouds because these are molecular clouds, thick molecules like H2O. Uh, these molecules are, are really important for seeding new star life. Um, so although we were mentioning before that when you're looking into space and you know, you like kind of an unfortunate side sometimes is that you're seeing stuff that happened in the past. You also get to witness like life. You get to witness when you look into space, you can see like star birth that's forming from star death and that there's star current life happening. And so you're just sort of seeing the recycling process of, of life and death. Um, and I think it's probably a really like beautiful way to sort of process this, uh, cycle that we all go through, uh, not just stars, but humans as well. And I think that's really, really cool. And then finally, say, finally, it says a recent study of variable stars in the LMC with Hubble has helped recalibrate the distance scale of the observable universe. I'm going to pause there. Variable stars. Uh, so they're flickering. Um, they change in brightness. And this is a helpful tool to measure distance when it comes to things in space. And it has to do with the period in which it is flickering. So is it flickering like how many times per second? How many how many times per hour? How long does it take those, the light to reach us? Um, and this this knowing how long it can take to reach us, because we know that light tends to move at a constant speed, asterisk, 
you know, I say asterisk because, um, yeah, there, there may be certain circumstances in space where, uh, as of right now, it's not like totally proven, but like light, um, may not always be constant. Uh, things get really weird around like black holes. And, uh, so, so light might, you know, that's just sort of the, the speed limit that we understand right now, just as the speed of light, uh, about like 300 million meters per second, really, really fast. And so that being said, since we understand how fast light would move, uh, we would sort of look at the amount of time in which this light is flickering and then measure how much time has passed since the last flicker and then say, okay, well, if it takes this long for it to reach us and we know that it moves this fast, it must be this far away. Uh, it's also similar to lighthouses as well. When you're out at sea and you're kind of looking for a lighthouse, you're like, oh, okay, well, there's land. Um, every time it rotates, we might know that it rotates once every, you know, five seconds. And so we're getting closer and closer because it's getting brighter. And so uh, that's that. And then it says towards the end, but resulted in slightly different scale that then found using the, okay, yeah, okay. They use a cosmic microwave background. We're going to get into that right now. But um, yeah, so that was astronomy picture of the day. Uh, so how are you guys doing? Okay, well, what did the black hole say to the beam of light? Get bent. Uh, <laughs> oh, I need to get a, like a really great soundboard on here. And we need to get like a, a very robust laughter. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just pull this up real quick. And just that, that was, a, that was a great one. Um, if anyone ever has, um, okay, I typed in people laughing and it brought me funny people laughing. So, okay, this is just, just kind of weird. Um, it's so delayed now. It's not even, there we go. There you go, Lauren. I, I love jokes like this, so please, if you guys ever have, please share it. Uh, that just, like, totally makes it really fun. And again, it also makes it feel like we're having a conversation with each other, and I love that. That's so great. What the black hole say to light? Get bent. So great. Um, best time travel photos ever. I'm still thinking about that cat photo. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty great. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, do yourself a favor, go check it out. It's it's really really funny. Um, okay, so I guess that that's about everything. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and end here and ask if you guys wanted anyone want to come on and and ask anything. Um, let's see if I have the chat open. I might have it. I have it limited. So let's go ahead and just open that. So if anyone wants to call in and say hi or ask anything, you can do that now. Otherwise, um, I will go ahead and wrap us up. But that is uh, about everything I wanted to share. Let's see. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff I wrote down. I just didn't talk about, but I kind of talked about um, in a way. But uh, I'll, I'll share the link so you guys can kind of do like some of your own readings on it. But it is really cool. Um, let's see. It says, yeah, yeah, that's about everything I want to share. Just that, that instrument doing a really good job, checking out young stars, checking out potential, you know, habitable planets that may be forming. Very useful, super helpful for trying to find life beyond Earth. And um, I can't wait. I really can't wait to see what else comes out from James Webb. There's also been some really great photos that have come out from James Webb. So if you want to also do yourself a favor and look that up and look up those pictures, I highly recommend it. I'll also make sure to share that in the chat. 
Alrighty, so it looks like I don't get any callers. Totally cool. Um, thank you all so much for joining today's episode of Space Talk. I hope you guys get to get outside and do some stargazing this week. Um, so hopefully I will catch you all on the next episode. We've got one tomorrow. Let's see, what did I schedule for tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow is our open conversation. Okay, so yeah, let me close off that chat today. Let you guys, you guys can call in tomorrow. We can chat with each other. So uh, feel free to join. Um, call in, bring anything to the table you want to chat about. I am happy and excited to talk with you all about anything space-related. Um, Alrighty. Well, hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, until next time, at Astra. Astra.